that is true because when I do like an Instagram post or a little flyer for the table, or I made a sign on our door, you know those signs that say, sorry, whatever, we're closed. And it's like the typical sign you've seen in the movies. I used my sort of sense of humor and my artistic side and I, I made it say, sorry, carnivores, we're open. But in the exact style of that old school sign. And that was just fun to get a little creative. And so many people take pictures of it. Welcome to The Profitable Table, fed by Woolco Foods, the nation's first podcast devoted to the business and lifestyle of the hospitality industry. Now, here's your host, Woolco Foods CEO, Stephen Toberoff. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of The Profitable Table, fed by Woolco Foods. I am your host, Stephen Toberoff. And today I'm I'm really excited because I have an opportunity to speak with someone on a number of subjects that really, you know, I'm, I'm into from restaurants to vegan to comedy. So without further ado, my guest is Alex Carbano, who's one of the owners of the V-Spot restaurant in Brooklyn, and they have a location on St. Mark's in Manhattan. Alex, thanks a lot for taking the time to speak with me today. Thank you. Thank you for having me. And what's up, everybody? I'm in the kitchen right now, like off to the side. So don't mind the, uh, the vegan, you know, eggs being scrambled back there. <laughs> so Alex, um, before we get into it, can you just tell us a little bit about yourself and how you got involved with the V-Spot restaurant? I, I, you know, there's a bio of it on your website, which I found really interesting. I would love to hear you tell it. Well, my brother was a, a vegan before... I was before the before we even opened the restaurant. He kind of had the idea. He was pushing it. And I was, you know, into food. I was into graphics. I was always doing like art stuff. So we helped create the menu. And, you know, we just we ended up becoming partners. It was his idea at first. And then I was like, hey, why don't we turn this place Latin? And I started helping with the recipes. Next thing you know, the menu was just completely mine and my brother's. And it became fun to come up with vegan recipe, like veganizing Latin things we grew up on and even like Italian things like lasagna and certain pastas. And uh, when we first opened, I wasn't even vegan. We opened 15 years ago and I was sneaking in uh, chicharron, which is like little fried pork from across the street. I would sneak it in the back. Ended up becoming really fun and I really liked it. And then I became vegan because I was always like an animal lover, but had an edible and I saw a documentary and that was it for me. I can relate to that too, because like when I was growing up as a kid, I, I would never eat any vegetables or fruit. It was really like that. I just, for whatever reason, had a major aversion. But about five years ago, it happened slowly over time, but I just started eating more and more plant-based. And I'm not fully vegan, but I would say 95% of my meals are plant-based. And nice. uh, I love it. I love it. It's great. I, I try to explain to people. I still remember meat is delicious. There are certain things, but I feel from the vegan diet, once you get the hang of it, you feel good, you feel energetic, you feel cleaner, you feel lighter. And that feeling is what I'm addicted to now. And then I'm like, oh, well, this food is pretty damn good too. And I'm making up my own recipes. You know, I see people say they're addicted to meat. I'm like, yeah, but once you feel what we feel, you're going to love that. You know what I mean? You're going to be addicted to that. No doubt. I mean, uh, you do feel much better. And I find I have so much. It's just every aspect of life from energy to sleep. And also, I just like the idea that I'm eating stuff that isn't harming anything else. And just on every level, it's it's a very yes. cool thing. Now, you know, what I'm thinking is because I grew up in New York City and you started the V-Spot 15 years ago. My business partner 
has been into what they used to call health food for a long time. So we used to go to a spot, Angelica's in the East Village. And um, my question is, the cuisine that is now under vegan has really changed a lot. Like when you used to go to a health food restaurant, such as Angelica's, you could just sort of tell from the people that were in there that these were people who had committed to it and this was their lifestyle and that's what they're about. Now I think vegan restaurants are pretty much mainstream where you'll have people who they may not be eating plant-based all the time, but they want to go to the restaurant because they love the cuisine and they love the menu options. Would you say that's a fair sort of take on how things are? Yeah, especially depending on the type of, like our style of cooking here, for example, is comfort food. Most of it's heavy. We have a couple light options for the gluten-free people, for the people who just want completely like vegetable stuff and they don't want a crispy seitan chicharron, you know, made from wheat meat. But I do notice a lot of our clientele is not even vegan. They're just like, you know what? I want to skip meat for lunch or I want to skip meat for the day. And I know if I go here, I'm going to feel full. I do notice that people are now just respecting like it as a diet, not as so much a diet choice, but like a type of style of cuisine. They're like, oh yeah, this is just, you know, I feel a little lighter and, you know, they, they want to help animals for one meal. It's not as much as a vegan does, but I'm all about like, even a little help is great. No, definitely. And there's been a lot, you'd mentioned earlier about documentaries and there's been so many of them of late. And one of them, I believe it was called Cowspiracy, but one of them, the fundamental thesis was that for people that are really interested in having a positive impact on the the environment, rather, the uh, environmental costs of factory farming animals is devastating. And it's something that's not really discussed as often as, say, fossil fuels of people driving their cars or fueling their homes. And I think you're right. Again, sort of going back to like 15 years ago, I think people that were eating in health food restaurants were almost exclusively doing it for for that reason. Now I think that you have people that are doing it for environmental reasons. And the other Uh thing, which I was going to ask you, Steve had mentioned when I was speaking to him, I think 15 years ago, you'd be, it'd be very difficult to get somebody that wasn't into health food to come join you because you were going to be drinking wheatgrass. You were going to be eating carrot yeah. salad. That was it. Now you can go to a spot with a friend, regardless of what they like to eat, and there's going to be something great as long as they enjoy Latin cuisine, for example, with the V spot, right? Yes, exactly. They're skeptical and they get nervous, but once they try it, they're like, it's not just with us, even some other, there's, there's other great restaurants out there and, and people are like, damn, this is like, this is way better than I expected. So you had mentioned at the beginning that, you know, you were into art and and sort of artistic. And I know for people who are not familiar, you're an established comedian with an HBO special. How do you, do you how do you continue to incorporate your artistic creativity and, and your love of that into the restaurant and sort of use that to either expand the brand or expand the experience of being there? How does that dynamic work out? Well, they kind of go hand in hand in a way, the way I've set it up. So for example, I mean, not right now during the pandemic, but I would have people, producers come in and they would host comedy shows here. And I would also get on the stage and then I would actually talk about the restaurant. And that was kind of fun to, to do that. And when, and when I do gigs outside of comedy, I definitely have jokes about being a restaurant owner and poking fun of certain vegan things or certain customer service things. Then when I'm here working, for example, like today, I'm doing some stuff off the computer and customers come in. You know, I talk to them, maybe joke a little bit here and there. I don't go crazy. It all kind of like wraps around each other and they sort of help each other. Because I, I would say that dealing with customers 
being social, learning how to sort of win people over quickly. Your first minute can't be bad as a server or even as a, a person managing and keeping an eye out. Because I'm not really a server, but I, I help everybody. You know, I do everything here. So I'll help the staff. People come in. I greet people. Uh, I check on the tables. It all kind of helps to stand up your just around people now sitting at a table. And you're like, oh, man, this is very similar. I'm kind of hosting right now. Definitely. And also in general, like, I think a lot of times people overlook how creative owning a business can be just in general. Oh, yeah. like, I did an interview earlier with these guys from Super Burrito. And one of the things that Eugene said was that he just loves the fact that because his business partner is a filmmaker, that when you have a business, you can use it to express yourself in a lot of artistic ways. And I think a lot of times that's overlooked, you know? Yeah, I would say, well, first of all, guys, check out the V-Spot burritos. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm joking. But I would say that that is true because when I do like an Instagram post or a little flyer for the table, or I made a, I made a sign on our door. You know those signs that say, sorry, whatever, we're closed. And it's like the typical sign you've seen in the movies. I use my sort of sense of humor, my artistic side, and I, I made it say, sorry, carnivores, we're open. But in the exact style of that old school sign and that was just fun to get a little creative and so many people take pictures of it like people just stop at the door and they take a picture because they get a little chuckle and uh that that's definitely really fun and it's cool to throw out the creativity in the restaurant in that sense and a little sense of humor you know definitely and the thing that's really cool also i was just thinking as you were saying that Having a vegan restaurant in some ways now almost gives you greater optionality from a branding standpoint than from a non-vegan restaurant because based on the cuisine that is available to offer now, you can prepare meals that anyone would like and you have the automatic buy-in for people who are committed vegans for their lifestyle. So it's almost like you're starting with a concept that has committed followers, people that are really believers from the beginning. And because of how the cuisine and the optionality of what you can offer has evolved, you have the entire universe of other people to be potential customers. Whereas before, I think a lot of times people thought, well, if I'm going to limit my menu, isn't it going to hurt me in terms of the clientele or expansion? I think it's probably the opposite now. Having a vegan place over like a steakhouse it's just comes. It's just different too. People are just like, okay, there's all these steakhouses that have similar menus, and then they're like, whoa, this vegan thing is is different, and they're almost curious, even if they're not a vegan. They're like, well, let me see what a breaded chicken farm hero is like at a at a vegan restaurant. It's kind of cool. Yeah, you know, as I was researching this, I was reading about something that I think your brother was involved in, which I'm curious because I I love gaming. It's with the Lionplex Game Center. Mm-hmm. How does that tie into the restaurant? Because I, I, I had some ideas about esports, and I was just curious what, what's going on with that and how it ties into the V-Spot. Well, it was tied in before the pandemic that we had a game night in our back room. We have a little performance venue or more of just like a space in our St. Mark's location all the way. Like you have to, It's almost like a speakeasy because you can't tell that it's there. You go through the hallway, you go to the back, you move the curtain, and then there's this big area and we had Lionplex friend of ours, this guy Dong set it all up and they would live stream the games and people were playing Street Fighter, the old Street Fighter Turbo, which is uh, there's like high level players that play in tournaments that come to our restaurant and play in the back and then also he would set up multiple sort of units of computers with all different games and that was going on every Friday and I think Sunday 
but then the pandemic hit. So now they're doing some stuff online a little bit or just small socially distanced type of thing, you know, three, four guys that we work with. And, and, you know, we're hoping to maybe one day bring that to Brooklyn as well. I think that's going to be huge. And I think you guys were really ahead there because esports is, is absolutely huge. And going forward in the same way that you have sports bars that are showing the, the Super Bowl or, or the football or the soccer match, baseball, I would be shocked if in five years or less, you're not going to see sports bars that are also showing esports or maybe even concepts that are geared towards that. And it seems like you guys were ahead of the curve because you've got people streaming games when you were doing this, right? Yeah. That's very cool. Well, did that come out of anything particular with the V-Spot or was it just your guys' enjoyment of gaming or you felt that it would be a great value added? It's kind of a funny story. We, on our block on St. Mark's, I don't know if they're still open due to the pandemic, unfortunately, but Barcade was on our block. And Barcade is like a bar with an arcade and they have alcohol and it's kind of like a you know arcade for adults. And they had Street Fighter Turbo. And me and my brothers, when I noticed this, I told my two brothers who we grew up playing. I was like, man, we haven't played in years. Let's, let's go over. So we started doing it every couple of weeks. And that's when we randomly went on a certain night where there was apparently a Street Fighter gamer community that was meeting up there and playing. And then we were like, hey, you know, let's all collab. Let's all hang out. We all started hanging out. And then we just started, instead of spending a million quarters over at Barcade, we just moved because we only played one game, which is Street Fighter, we moved it to St. Mark's and we started making our own. We took over that game night and made it over there. That's really cool. And I was thinking about this before the pandemic, that there was so many different things that were going on with restaurants that were building community, whether it was like game night or, or restaurants and bars. And you even saw this as we headed into the presidential election, people were showing the presidential debates or they were showing election night. I think as we come out of this, restaurants and bars are going to become even more communally oriented in the sense that it's not going to be exclusively, I mean, some places will, will be exclusively about going, getting something to eat, hanging out with your friends. But I think that there's going to be the incorporation of additional ways for people to connect, whether it's with gaming, whether it's with certain events, whether it's movie night. What do you think about that? Or, you know, in terms of just, and, and St. Mark's I know has a great vibe from when I lived in New York and even from what I've been seeing recently. I mean, there's a lot of different ways to pull people into an establishment other than them just eating with their friends, you know? Yeah, definitely. I think it's that's definitely a great point. Like with us, with the arcade stuff, the comedy, and I do think that everything's getting streamed. And I thought it would maybe die out after the pandemic because we're all going to be starving for live stuff. But actually, some people are still going to be afraid of the virus. And some people are just going to be like, you know, I kind of like doing this from home. So I think, it's all going to get streamed, all the games, all the shows, all the music, you know, a lot of cool stuff. Yeah, I think that maybe a lot of people are looking at this whole thing as being binary, that it's either going to go exactly the way that it was before, or it's going to be exactly like it is now. But maybe the evolution is going to be the incorporation of both aspects, which are good. Like I was reading uh, an article, I think over the weekend, where the guy from Salesforce, Eric Benioff, said that everybody, if they want to, can work from home going forward. But I think that, especially in a place like New York City, the more people who work from home, the more attractive and significant going out to a restaurant or a bar, hanging out with friends is going to be. Because instead of that social hit that you get when you're at the office, you're now going to be getting that after work. 
Right, exactly. So Very true. either way that it goes, I think the hospitality space is well positioned to come out of this as restrictions get lifted to be an even more significant and vibrant industry. It just faced enormous headwinds now, you know? Definitely. Do you see now, because you guys have been doing this at the V-Spot for 15 years, do you see a lot of vegan spaces coming up and you can almost identify that they've borrowed some ideas from you? Oh, yeah, for sure. A lot of places. And it's okay. I'm not going to call anybody out. And there's a lot of little Latin places opening up. And some of them have their own unique stuff. And some of them, you can tell, we're just like, man, that was a good idea. Let's open one up here. Let's open one up here. And they have their version. But for sure, people definitely, definitely took some ideas. And that's okay. Because, you know, that's how we started. We got ideas from all over. Just even just taking meat ideas. We're like, well, that's a meat item. But let's take that and let's turn it vegan. Well, I mean, that's kind of the great part about being an innovator. And then, of course, when you're the first one to pave a path, other people come in behind you. As you've gone through the 15-year journey, have there been changes that you've made as a result to vegan cuisine becoming more prevalent? Or have you found that you just, by staying close to your core concept and your core ideas when you found it, that the world has just come to you? Or have you found any areas where you've sort of evolved as this type of cuisine has become more prevalent? I would say we sort of evolved in the sense of trusting in what we think is good. We would make a certain sandwich or a certain wrap or something, and it, it didn't have, it would be like without a certain spice because we were afraid the customer might, oh, it might have a little spice or they might not like this new flavor. And then we noticed whenever we would order it, like on our shift meal, maybe we're, we're, we're working and we're like, oh, let me get that. And then we often add the spice in for ourselves. And then I was like, you know what? If we order it this way all the time, I tell my brother, let's just, whatever sandwich we get, if we're going to be altering it slightly, let's just make that what the customer gets because let's just trust in the fact that we know how it should be, whatever little combination. And I think in the beginning, we were a little more nervous. We were a little more hesitant. We weren't doing it that way. So I would say we evolved and like add in those extra two, three ingredients and just make that available right on the menu. Let the customer just get it right there. You know, something you were saying got me thinking because, you know, we, we sort of take all of this for granted now. But when you started 15 years ago, it must have been a nerve wracking decision to go all in on a concept yeah. that wasn't super accepted then. As well as because everything's digital now, it's much easier. So if we were to come up with a, a certain food item that was quote unquote risky or just too new at the time, you know, you're printing this on menus, you're printing it on the wall. And let's say the menu doesn't sell. Now, I can come up with an idea right now, put it on our like online stuff and just easily click a delete button and nobody would ever see it again. That makes it a lot easier to, to try out food, if that makes sense, like try out a special. Or if we had that back then, that would have been a lot easier to, to play around. No, absolutely. But let me ask you, when you guys started... What gave you the fundamental confidence to launch with this type of concept? Was it that you felt the food itself just tasted so great that it was going to be able to transcend any biases people might have regarding plant-based foods? Or was it that you said, you know what, there's a real demand for plant-based options that people are not getting, and we want to, we want to offer that into the market that we're serving? It was more of the fact that the neighborhood had nothing. Like I said, my brother had the idea at first. He was like, you know... There's nothing in this area. There's nothing vegan. Um, I felt as we opened, you know, we had a couple Latin options and I felt that they were the tastier options. They were the more unique options. 
you know, we used to do like a quote unquote meatloaf. And it was actually very good. But then I looked around, other restaurants had one. So that's when I was like, let's go all in and just go to our Latin roots. At one point it was 100% Latin, but now we're, we have like Korean fried chicken, which is really good with sesame seeds and crushed cocktail peanuts. And it's, it's really good, but it's predominantly Latin. And uh, I just felt, yeah, then we just felt the confidence, like our Latin food is good. So not only is there nothing vegan like this, I mean, in the area, there's also definitely not specifically Latin. We kind of went with that. You were saying something before that also got me thinking. There is a tremendous amount of optionality that restaurants have today with these third-party delivery services. There's the negatives associated with them, the costs, and, and a lot's been in the press. But it does give restaurants the ability to utilize their kitchen and their fixed assets more. Do you guys ever throw up concepts on a virtual menu and see how they play first before incorporating them into your restaurant? Or do you ever have stuff that's just for delivery, just for take-in? Or, or how do you utilize the, the delivery aspect and, how, and as that's grown? It's kind of like what I had said earlier about like, well, crying. Like I had a, this item I used to always make for myself and it was sort of this Mediterranean style wrap that I would make. And I just was like, you know what? I'm just going to teach the cooks how to make this and I'm going to put it on the seamless and Uber and uh, we'll give it a couple of days. And if it gets ordered, we'll keep it. If not, we'll take it off. That's kind of what we do. And it, it helps a lot. Like I said, because it's digitally, you know, and if something takes off, do you offer it in-house as well as delivery? Yes, yes it immediately, uh, within the next couple of days, it's offered in-house. The thing is, we just opened in-house dining yesterday. So that situation hasn't come up yet, but um, thankfully we already figured out in the past couple of weeks some of the new items that they work, so they're offered in-house. But like moving forward, yeah, if I had an idea tomorrow, yeah, I guess I'd put it online first, see how it sells, and then... Or maybe I would just offer it to everybody at once. Like, you know, let's see. Something that a lot of our customers have noticed during the pandemic and as they've done a lot more business for delivery and takeout is they, they're finding that they have a customer base that really enjoys getting delivery from them that they never knew they existed. With a concept like yours, and I know you have the V-Spot in Brooklyn, you have the V-Spot Express. Have you ever thought about putting up a virtual kitchen in markets where you know the cuisine would be well-received and you didn't want to make the investment in brick and mortar? Do you think that's something that would be appealing? Or do you feel like, you know what, the V-Spot experience really has to be tied to the brand and, and we want some form of, of brick and mortar engagement to supplement the other stuff? Well, I mean, since you brought up, we actually have one of those. We, we started one. It's, uh, they call them ghost kitchens. And um, we have a company that's only available online. It's made from our style of cooking, our ingredients, and it's called uh, Vegan Baptism. And it has a little bit more American style food. And so far, it's going okay. You know, we enjoy it. And it's, it's pretty cool. And it's nice to not open a whole new restaurant, to just have a separate menu and, um, you know, with some new ingredients. And so far, it's pretty cool. I would recommend it to other restaurants or venues that are maybe if they're struggling to maybe consider opening a ghost kitchen that's available just for online delivery. And I think that's another sort of reward that you've earned by being a first mover or one of the first movers in vegan food, because even though it's much more widely accepted. It's still something that I, I don't think the level of expertise in preparing it exceptionally well is super widespread. 
And so I think you do have a level of optionality to to deploy this concept or this cuisine in a lot of markets, much more so than other people would be able to. And there's more and more demand for, for vegan food every day. So I think that's a great thing you did. And I think it can lend itself to rapid scalability in this and other markets because people are looking for that. Yeah, definitely. It's nice. Again, that's where the creativity comes in. You can come up with, you know, they want us to make some burgers. So we came up with some burger ideas and that was fun using some of our ingredients existing and then some new ones and, you know, having the customers just sometimes in the back of my head, I'm like, oh, I wish they knew that that was a spot burger, but hey, we got to pay the bill. So whatever works at this point, it's not easy. No, no, it's been a very challenging time. But I, like I say, I mean, the, the cool thing is, is that where I think you have the differentiated edge and you started it 15 years ago was the food that stands on its own, regardless of the fact that it's vegan. And now that you've got multiple streams of demand for the, the cuisine, as well as something plant-based, I'm seeing this with a lot of different restaurants. I mean, we've had restaurants that were sports bars and they did virtually no takeout and delivery. And now they find that there's tremendous demand from their local community for their hamburgers or their fish and chips, and they're doing a material amount of business. So again, it's almost another one of these things that has evolved and not everything has to be binary. One can complement the other because, you know, once you like something online, you check it out online, you say, wow, this is a really cool spot, cool menu. They could go and, and check it out. Let me ask you one last question, Alex, which would be if you were advising someone who's just thinking about starting a concept and they were going to do something that wasn't completely mainstreamed yet, kind of like what you had done 15 years ago. People had been eating health food. You took a different tilt on it. What advice would you give them so that within the shortest amount of time they can have their concept up and running and at least be engaged and, and have people going there where they can overcome some of the barriers associated with being the first to do something? I would say one thing that helped us a lot was sampling, sampling the food to people outside at events, you know, you're using up money because you're giving out free stuff. But if the person tries the food, because obviously, like you said, back in the day, I'd be like, hey, we got these empanadas and people are like, oh, beef or chicken. And I'm like, oh, they're vegan, you know. So a lot of people would be like a little bit turned off or they would just be like, you know, a little uneducated or immature. But we would sort of Sometimes we wouldn't even say anything. We're like, just try it here. Try. And then they taste it and like, whoa, it's good. What is it? And then you explain what it is. And you say, oh, it's a mushroom, this, or whatever, whatever. It helps to sample. And it helps to not be too aggressive. You know, like, of course, we're animal lovers. And we don't like that animals are getting abused or tortured. But we're not going to bring that as we promote our food. Because it's it's it doesn't work too well with people who are... Some people just don't will never care that an animal is tortured and killed, or they, you know, and that's something you can't change. Some people will if you sort of educate them, but if you're kind of forcefully like, oh, don't eat that meat, eat this instead, or whatever your concept is, just don't be too forceful. Don't try to play it cool and sample. People got to try the food. You got to give out a sample. Yeah, you know, what you were saying reminded me of something Rich Roll, who's an ultra marathoner and a, a vegan and, and a guy who wrote a really good book. And that's basically his approach is like, you know, you don't want to come down heavy on people and get judgmental and sort of just encourage every little bit. Because like we were talking about earlier, the statistics associated with the lack of environmental damage that just one plant-based meal 
creates is substantial. So once you get people, whether they come at it from animal cruelty, the environment, once they really understand how little impact plant-based food has on the environment versus factory farmed animals, that opens a lot of eyes. And then you say to them, well, look, even if it starts out as 20% of 30% of what you're eating, you're having a material impact. And, and people like that. Nice. Yeah, definitely. I, I, I was picturing like, what if somebody was like, for example, I'm not a huge raw guy, but if somebody was like, got this raw restaurant, you know, and if they had, I'd probably be at first be like, oh, okay, cool. I wouldn't be dying to go over there. But if they get, if I was sitting in front of them and they handed me a sample and I'm like, whoa, this is good. It's very hard to, to not want to try it again. You know what I mean? Absolutely. You got to give people a sample, especially if it's something new. Well, Alex, I really appreciate you taking the time. I really enjoyed this. And for people that want to find the V-Spot, you can go online to www.vspot.nyc.com. Check them out on Instagram at the V-Spot Restaurant. If you want some great comedy, Alex Carbagno, HBO special and on YouTube. And um, Alex, I really enjoyed this and I really appreciate it, man. No problem. Thank you so much. I had a great time as well. Thanks, Alex. Have a great day. Take care. Well, I really enjoyed that conversation with Alex. And what is so cool about it is that when they launched the V-Spot 15 years ago, it took a lot of courage and a lot of vision. But what's great about that is 15 years later, it's super on point and trendy. And they're a leader in an absolutely growing space. And I think for those of you out there that are thinking about opening up a a restaurant with a concept that maybe is not super widely accepted at the moment, it goes to show that if you do it and you execute properly and you find a way to get that business up and running and engage with the community, you can find yourself down the road being in a great position to leverage that work in a multitude of ways and find yourself having first mover advantage in a growing and booming space. And I just think that's really cool. As always, I really enjoy hearing from you guys. So please keep the emails coming. You can email me at steven, S-T-E-V-E-N, at woolcofoods.com, or you can DM me at woolcofoods. If you enjoy the podcast, I would really appreciate it if you would give us a rating and, and maybe just take a minute to write a review. That would be most helpful and appreciated. If you know someone that would enjoy this content, I would really love it if you'd recommend the podcast to them. Uh, really appreciate that. And most importantly, everybody, have an awesome, awesome day. Thank you for listening to The Profitable Table, fed by Woolco Foods. Please be sure to rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast app. And to learn more about Woolco Foods or Stephen Toberoff, please visit us at woolcofoods.net. <laughs>